0: Uh, 2005, there was a guy by the name of A.J. Jacobs, A.J. Jacobs, and he decided that he was going to do something different. He decided he was going to take the Old Testament, the Bible, and write down every single command he could find. He wrote down every command he could find, and he decided for one year he was going to live all of those commands out as perfectly as he could, okay? Okay? A whole year of reading all the Bible and obeying all of the commands. And he wrote a book that's called The Year of Living Biblically. All right? So so he did this. He successfully, for one year, he wore uh, no clothing that had any mixed fibers in them. So no t-shirts. Like I wear a t-shirt six days a week. No t-shirts. Okay? He, uh, he didn't trim the corners of his beard. Now... I don't know if most men are like me. If I didn't have to shave, I wouldn't. But my wife likes it a little cleaner shave. So he did it for a year without tra- tra- trimming up his beard. He, he tried hard not to lie or to covet, which was hard because he was a journalist for the New York Times. And sometimes that's difficult to do. In fact, he even stoned an adulterer. meaning he picked up pebbles and threw pebbles at somebody who was cheating on his spouse. Like, this is what he did for one year. The end of the year, he wrote a book about his experience and all that he learned. And uh, he learned some different things. One of the things he said is he gained a sense of reverence towards God. He understood that God deserved reverence. And the other big takeaway that he concluded after this whole year of trying to live biblically is he concluded that buffet religion works best. Buffet religion works like this, where we pick and choose what we want to follow. We pick and choose what we want to obey and what we believe about the Bible. Isn't that what many of us do when we look at religion, when we look at the Bible? Don't we kind of pick and choose what we think is, is relevant like, we look at the Bible and we think, well, I like that Jesus when he's talking about grace and forgiveness and loving everybody. But, but you know, that God of the Old Testament, you know, judgment and, and, and all those harsh things. Like, I don't really like that kind of God. So I'm just going to focus and let this be my God because my God would never judge. My God would never punish anybody. Come on. And ultimately, we do just like what AJ decided to do at the end. is we pick and choose what we believe. And we look at the Bible, and instead of seeing the Bible for what it is, we view the Bible as a rule book, as a bunch of rules that we have to follow, a bunch of commandments that we have to follow. And when we do that, when we view the Bible as a rule book, or we begin to pick and choose what we want to believe in the Bible, we miss the point of what the Bible is all about. Completely miss the point. See, we need to understand the Bible is 66 books. There are 39 Old Testament books. There are 27 New Testament books. There are 40 different authors that that, that wrote the Bible. And they wrote the Bible into one story. All these books coming together, all these authors wrote one story about who God is, about who we are, and what God has done to make us right with him. The Bible, the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, it points to Jesus Christ again and again again. And again. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, we got uh, an usher in the back who'd love to come and bring one of these forward to you. Um, he is a Cowboys fan, so I don't know if he's rooting for the Eagles or not, uh, but um, yeah. So so, anyways, you need a Bible, slip your hand up. Uh, we'll bring uh, a Bible to you. We'll also have all the words on the screen behind me. Um, as we've been, we've got to have some fun. It's Super Bowl Sunday, right? As we've been studying on Sermon on the Mount for the past couple of weeks, again, this is the sermon, the first sermon, recorded sermon that Jesus preached. And, uh, uh, We're going to see a little bit of a transition to start out the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began talking about uh, describing what the citizens of heaven look like. If you were a Christian, if you were a part of God's kingdom, he described this is what you look, look like. We talked about the Beatitudes, characteristics that should define what it looks like to be a Christian. We talked about what it means for us to influence the world around us. How we are salt and light and we represent Jesus to the world around us. And now, Jesus is going to transition a little bit, where uh, he's going to teach towards the righteousness of the kingdom of God, what it looks like for us to be righteous. And again, you've got to understand the context for the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is specifically dealing with the uh, scribes and the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, who had taken the Bible just like that A.J. Jacobs guy and, and limited it to being a rule book, a bunch of rules to follow for external behavior modification. And Jesus is going to continue to, to poke at them, to contrast what they're doing. And, he, and here's what, what God really wants, and, and Jesus is going to teach us this, is God really wants our heart. He wants us to have a heart after him. He doesn't want us necessarily to follow all the rules. He wants us to have a heart that follows him. In fact, if you were to say, well, what's this message all about today? takeaway you might want to write this down is god wants a changed heart not behavior modification what god is looking for it's not that we follow a bunch of rules and that we become externally such good people he wants our heart to love him and follow him and, and that's what we're going to look at today before we jump in matthew chapter 5 verse 17 i'm going to ask you to just join me in a word of prayer God, we just thank you for uh, this opportunity to be gathered here today. Thank you for everyone in here. Lord, I pray that your spirit would rest on us. I pray, God, that as we uh, wrestle with these ideas about the differences between religion and Christianity, God, I pray to help us to understand what it is you want from us. You want our hearts, our hearts completely devoted to you, following you, obeying you. And God, I pray that you help us to understand it's not about behavior modification, it's about loving you, that, and that God, as we love you, the behavior follows. So Lord, I pray that your spirit would rest on us today. I pray for those who come in, uh, coming on the tales of a hard week. I pray, God, that your grace would be on them, your love would be there. Lord, for those of us that need to be chastened, Lord, I pray that you would chasten us as well. Jesus, we love you, and we plead for your presence with us now, in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 17. And this is Jesus speaking, and he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, when you see this term law and prophets, Jesus is referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. The law was typically referred to the five first books of the Bible, and the prophets would constitute uh, typically the rest of the Old Testament. And so, and so Jesus is saying, um, do not think I have come to abolish the Old Testament. Now, I'm just going to be honest, like how many of you wish he didn't say that? Like my hand's up there. I wish he didn't say I haven't come to abolish it. Like I I would say, Jesus, I would love for you to abolish all those rules. I would love for you to say those are done away. We don't have to worry about those anymore. Because when you look at the Bible, the Old Testament, there are 613 commands in the Old Testament. Okay? You understand commands. These are like, thou shalt not, thou shall. Okay, there are uh, 248 Positive commands means you should do this, you should do that. And there are uh, 365 negative commands. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not. You think about the Ten Commandments. Okay, those would be examples of those rules. When I think about there being 613 commandments in the Old Testament, I'm just being honest. Like, I can't find where I parked. I don't remember where I parked my car when I'm at Walmart when I walk out. Let alone try to remember all 613 of those commandments And trying to obey them. Like, I have a hard enough time in life as it is. And here's Jesus saying, man, I didn't come to to remove those. I didn't come to take those commandments away. I haven't come to make those obsolete or to nullify them. Say, well, Jesus, well, what'd you come for then? And here's what he continues in that verse, verse 17. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He says, I haven't come to wipe them out, I've come to fulfill them. And I say, well, what, is, what does it mean for you to fulfill them? To fulfill means that he did the things that were written in Scripture. It means those, those things written in Scripture, he brought out the full meaning of them. I mean, you think about this, you think about the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said, the Messiah, the Son of God, is going to be born in Bethlehem. And so... Years later, when Jesus was born in in Bethlehem, that doesn't mean he abolishes that that prophecy that Isaiah made. It means he he, he fulfilled it. He accomplished it. He, he, He made it become true. And when Jesus accomplishes it, when he fulfills it, now the attention is no longer on the prophecy itself, but now the attention is on the man, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled it. And so so as Jesus is saying, don't think I've come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. He's turning the attention to himself. And we've got to understand that now Jesus is the focus of everything we read in, in the Old Testament. So this is how Jesus starts out. He says, listen, I haven't come to abolish and do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to put it in the right place. I've come to turn our attention to Jesus Christ himself. He says in verse eighteen, "For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished now I don't know if any of you are a little bit nerdy like me, but just a couple of little nerdy things about that verse uh, when Jesus says, For truly, he says, For truly I say to you this is this is Jesus trying to say um, uh, This is something you need to listen to. This is truth. This is kind of like when we pray and we say amen. We say amen, meaning I I want this to be true. I believe this to be true. And the Old Testament, the prophets would say, thus saith the Lord. The apostles in the New Testament, they write, it is as it is written. And so when Jesus says, truly I say to you, Jesus is saying this is truth. This is something you need to hear. You need to believe this. He says, uh, until heaven and earth pass away. You say, well, what is heaven and earth? Is that referring to eternity when we go to heaven with Jesus and the, and the streets are paved with gold? No, actually, when he's saying, when, when, until heaven and earth pass away, he, he's talking about all of creation. He's talking about the skies above and the earth below. He's talking about all of creation. Okay? And here's what he says. He says, truly, I say to you, this is truth. You need to hear this. You need to believe this. Until all of creation passes away, until the earth is is removed, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until it is all accomplished. An iota, a dot. These are punctuation marks. Jesus is saying not even a comma, not even an exclamation point is going to be removed from Scripture. Scripture. Like, I'm not even going to argue the words. I'm going all the way to the detail of every time you cross a T and every time you dot an I. None of that's going to remove from Scripture until all is accomplished. See, until all the Old Testament is accomplished. And that's going to happen when Christ returns. And see, Jesus is trying to teach us something that we need to understand. Because we like to think, well, well, those commands, all that righteousness from the Old Testament, we're, we're done with that. No, what Jesus is trying to point out is that righteousness matters. Our holiness, our life, how we live it, it matters. And we want to dismiss it and say, well, no, we're, we're in the age of grace and, and it's all about forgiveness. But Jesus is saying, no, listen, righteousness matters. Now, I know, I, I have this flesh inside of me. I have this human nature that wants to rebel and push back to say, no, come on, we're, we're in the New Testament days. Like, we're in the age of grace, right? We're, we're different than the Old Testament. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, the Old Testament is kind of like in elementary school. In elementary school, you're learning how to add and subtract and, and multiplication. But now, like we've progressed. Now we're in high school. Now we're learning algebra and trying to figure out what X is. And so now we're, we're so much beyond where the Old Testament is. We're better than that. And Jesus is saying, no, you can't, you can't separate the two like that. He says there's a continuous relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're not two separate things of this is before, and this is now. He's saying these things belong together. Again, we have one Bible, 66 books that tell one story. There's one gospel in the Bible, and it all is pointing towards Jesus. But here's the problem. Even though Jesus says this, we all have a sin nature, right? We all have a bent towards rebellion. We all have a bent to looking at the Bible, kind of like that buffet line. Now, I don't know about you, but I like going to the buffet, my wife, on the other hand, she's, she's not a buffet person. It's just not her style. Uh, I'm a buffet person, so I like going to the buffet and being able to choose. In fact, uh, David Stark and I had the chance to go to a, uh, the tea garden a few weeks ago. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the tea garden. It's got Thai food, and it's a buffet. It's great. And here's what I love going to the buffet line. is because as I'm going through the buffet line, I get to pick and choose what I want. So I see some of that Mongolian beef, and I'm like, load that up. I see some of the orange chicken load me up. I see some of that chicken curry. Come on, keep going, keep going. Uh, then I see the, uh, what is the, uh, uh, I wrote it down, the, the The egg flour soup. Like, why would you waste any of your stomach space on egg flour soup when you could have, like, all that good oriental meat, right? Like, that's just the way I am. I'm like, give me the meat. You see, because we have this sin nature, we view the Bible like that. We pick and choose what we like and pick and choose what we want to have. And we say, I'm going to pass on this. And so that's what we do with the Bible is we begin to pick and choose what we believe. We don't, we don't disregard it completely. We don't say, well, well, it's just a bad book and I'm not going to believe the book. No, we just say, well, I like this one better. I like that one better. So I'm going to focus on these things and not pay attention to those. And after all, we say we're, we're 2018, like we're, we're more enlightened than they were in the Old Testament days, right? Like if they knew what we knew now, like if God knew what we knew now, like he would have written something completely differently, right? Like, it, like if, if God understood the way that we see things in marriage today and the way that we see relationships, like God probably would have been like, man, I didn't see that coming. Like, can I have a mulligan? Can I write that stuff over again? Because, you know, we're so enlightened today. Because we're so much smarter than, than they were way back then when the, those things were written. We look at our Jesus and we think, I like my Jesus full of grace. I like my Jesus wearing cardigan sweaters and having a hipster haircut. My Jesus is probably a vegan. Probably is. And that God of the Old Testament, that God who, who, who's the God of judgment and who kills and, 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 and who, who brings justice, like that's not my God. I'm this other God. This hipster God, this hipster Jesus, full of love and grace. And here's the problem, though. Is when we begin to determine what's true, when we view the Bible and we pick and choose what we believe is relevant for today, when we pick and choose what we believe, we are making ourselves God. God. We're making ourselves God. Instead of God saying, let me tell you who I am and let me tell you who you are, we say, no God, let me tell you who you are. We are making ourselves God. And I don't know about you, but I make a pretty crummy God. Like I've tried. Like I've tried to make my kingdom. And it's a pretty crummy little kingdom, right? And this is the words of Jesus. Is that, We've got to take the, the commands of God serious. Those things that Jesus wrote, they're, they're important for us. They are reveal to us. I think that guy, A.J. Jacobs, is so significant what he says. He says, when I, when I tried to follow all those commands in the Old Testament for that year, it gave me a reverence for God. When we look at those commands, it teaches us the nature of who God is. God is holy. He's separate. He's different than anything we've seen. So Jesus is saying, listen, we have to take those commands seriously. He's going to continue, verse 19. He says, Therefore, whoever relaxes, or whoever modifies, whoever dismisses, whoever excuses one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of God. But whoever does all these commandments and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of God. He says, listen, if you, if you diminish, if you excuse, if you choose what to believe and what you don't believe, if you diminish the commands of Scripture, what he just said is you'll be called least in the kingdom of God. And I begin to think, okay, well, is there like a varsity and a JV? And like if I, if I follow all the rules, like, like I'll be on the varsity team and I'll play for, you know, uh, NBA team. And if I don't, then why play for like the Sun Kings, like the lower level, you know, varsity JV sort of thing? Like, how does that work out? And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because when he talks about the kingdom of God, we need to understand the kingdom of God is both a, a now and in the future. Jesus, when he came, he said, listen, the kingdom of God has come now. So we have the ability to uh, experience the kingdom of God, not in fullness, but in part now. And there's going to come a day in the future when we experience the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so we need to understand the kingdom of God is right now. And so when Jesus says, uh, when Jesus says, whoever relaxes one of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, that they will uh, be called the least in the kingdom of God, what he's saying is that the more you and I relax God's word, the more we change or, or modify God's word, the more you and I, we rob ourselves of the joy that Christ has for us. The more we look at God's word and say, you know what, all those rules, all those things, they're really not important to me, and I I don't really want to I don't want to do that. What we're actually doing is robbing ourselves of the joy that Christ has set aside for us. Do you understand that's how it works? Our human nature, man, our human nature says, go crazy. Go do whatever you want to do, sleep with whoever you want to sleep with, drink whatever you want to drink. There's no boundaries in life. No one can tell you how to live. And we, we look at God, we look at the Bible and think, man, I, I, I hate looking at the Bible because there's all those rules that are trying to dictate how I live to say you need to live differently. We think it's restrictive, okay? But the, actually, the opposite is true. God is a God of love. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's the author of life. And when he gives us these rules, these commands, these things for us to follow and to live by, he's doing it for our benefit, for our joy, so that we would experience all that this life has to offer. And how many times, how many times do we say, I'm not going to listen to anybody living, giving me rules, and I'm going to go do my own thing. How many of you ever, how many have you ever done that? You said, listen, all these people say I shouldn't do this. I'm going to go do it anyways. Anybody ever done that? Anybody suffered through that? Anybody thought, man, this is not what I thought? This sucks. Oh, I said that. I don't know if I'm, know if I'm allowed to say that. But we do that, right? We think, well, somebody says I shouldn't do this, so I'm going to go do it anyways, and then I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to struggle. And what God is saying is, listen. If you live by my standard, there's a joy that is set before you, a fullness of life that you can't even imagine. When we choose to relax God's word and change and modify it, we rob ourselves of the joy that Christ has for us. We don't experience the fullness of life, the vitality, the depth of life that God has provided for us. And I don't know does it to say when you and I loosen these commands, but he says when we teach others to diminish God's word. Now, most of you are thinking, well, I'm not a pastor. Like, you know, Kevin, you're the guy up front with a, with, with a music stand, and you're teaching people that replies to you, right? It doesn't. It's, what Jesus means is something different because, listen, your life teaches, doesn't it? All of our lives teach, do they not? I mean... This past six months, I've been building a house. You guys know this. i talked about this a number of times. And uh, we did get our occupancy Friday. So that's exciting. We, we put our beds in and we're sleeping inside the house. How exciting for us. We actually are going get to start getting a life back here soon. It's going to be wonderful. But the thing is, when these contractors come in, when these builders uh, come in, my father-in-law, he's a guy who can build anything out of anything. Like, I'm amazed. Uh, just so, so much. When these guys come in my house, like, it boosts me up a little bit. Like when they come in and they're like, yeah, here's how you do it. Guess what I do? I start doing those same things. I start walking the way do. I start spitting my sunflower seeds like they do. I mean, like this is, this is what I do because your life teaches, right? So when we're building a house and we put a hole in the wall and they're like, yep, I did that on purpose. That's what I do now. They did it on purpose. That's why it's there, of course. I mean, this is where... When you get around people that that take holiness serious, when I get around people that take holiness seriously, listen, man, I find a seriousness about holiness around me. When I get around a bunch of middle school boys, listen, it's not very hard for me to start acting like middle school boys and making the sounds that middle school boys make, if you know what I mean. Your life teaches We teach with our lives. And by your life, how you live, you are teaching others about what you believe about God. By the way that you live, you are teaching others about what you believe about God. Listen, I'm afraid to say this, but there are some of us in here who have a lackadaisical approach to holiness. We have a lackadaisical approach to our relationship with God. Listen, if that's you, you are teaching others something about your belief about God. You are teaching others that the dots, the I- uh, iotas, they don't matter. You're teaching others that truth is selective, and you can pick and choose what you believe, and you actually get to define what God is like by how you live your life, by choosing what you believe. See, I got a little story to ex- explain that. Anybody watched the movie Cool Runnings growing up? We're getting close to the Winter Olympics. Cool Runnings is on Netflix. How cool is that movie? Like, I don't know if you remember that growing up. I watched that movie and, and I begin to think, feel the rhythm, feel the rhyme. Get on up, it's bobsled time. Come on, someone's got to, that's got to re- resonate with somebody. Jamaica got a bobsled team. Okay, brings back my childhood. I loved it. And so I saw it on Netflix and I thought, hey, it's going to be a dad night. We've got five kids. Kids, come on in. We're going to watch Cool Runnings together. And we get 20 minutes in, and we get 30 minutes into the movie, and I'm like, wow. Like, there's a couple scenes in this movie. Like, I don't remember that being there when I was growing up. Like, there's a couple words that they talk, and I'm like, oh, man, I've got an 8-year-old right here. And if he goes to school tomorrow and says that to his teacher, like, I'm dead. Like, that's, ah, and I don't, re- I don't remember that movie being that crude when I was growing up. But now, all of a sudden, you put innocence in the room and exposes some of those areas that maybe my heart is a little bit hard. Exposes some areas that I felt like, you know, that really isn't that big of a deal. You put an innocence in the room and exposes some areas that maybe I've been a little lackadaisical in holiness. So I'm not saying Cool Runnings is a bad movie. Uh, go watch it. It's funny. You'll laugh your head off. But I'm just explaining that if I, if I watch it by myself, I don't pick up on those things. But you put my eight-year-old in the room. You put holiness in the room, and I become totally aware of all these things I missed before. Does that ever happen to any of you? Put a movie on, you watch something, and then your kids come in, and you're like, oh, man, I've got to turn this off. Your life teaches your life is constantly teaching. You are teaching other people around you. And if you relax, if you loosen the commands of God, if you don't take serious uh, the way that you live for God, listen, Jesus says you will be called least in the kingdom of God. Your experience of the fullness of life that Christ has, has, has came to bring you is affected by your, 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 your lackadaisical approach. And you miss out on all that God has for you. In the same way, the more that we grow serious about holiness and about our relationship with God, man, the more our joy will increase. The more we will experience the fullness of all that Christ has given us. And we come to this point, and, and again, I... We tend to be a gospel-driven church. We want to talk about the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And and so far, for three verses, all we've talked about is holiness, and righteousness, and, and God's law, and obeying the rules. And now I want us to see probably the key verse that we need to understand for this whole section of Scripture. And this is the power of God for salvation. Verse 20. Here's what Jesus says. It says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Is that a terrifying verse to you? It is to me. Speaking straight up. And I'll tell you why. Because these scribes and Pharisees were so externally upright... Like, if we were to take all of our external righteousness and complying complying with the rules and put it together, we still probably wouldn't match with the scribes and Pharisees the way that they lived. We couldn't be as good as them. It wouldn't even be close. It'd kind of be like the Patriots and Eagles in the Super Bowl. We know it's going to be a blowout. That's what it's like when you compare us with the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, Matthew 23 says that they were so righteous that they would tithe on their spices. So they'd open up their spice rack, they'd get a little bit of paprika, and say, 10% goes to the church. I don't know what they're going to do with it, but 10% goes to the church because they were so externally focused on obeying the rules, they went that far. There's no way that you and I could could say that we're better than those guys. And I'm the guy up front, in front of all of you, saying, man, it's impossible for us to exceed what they've done. And there's two ways I want to explain this verse, and both of them are true, and both of them are relevant, and both of them will walk, help us walk out of here understanding what grace is all about. The first one, the first way to look at this verse, is Jesus is going to change the definition of righteousness. Maybe he doesn't change the definition, maybe he, he gives us a proper definition of what God's really looking for. Again, we can look at the Bible and just say that it's a rule book. Bunch of rules we have to follow. But that's not what God intended. He never intended the Bible to be a bunch of rules that we follow. Okay? The Pharisees, remember, they had that external conformity to the rules. They found the rules and said we can we can conform to all those external rules to follow. 613 rules. But Jesus is saying, Listen, I'm not interested in just you following the rules. What I really want is your heart. See, what I'm saying is Christianity is not about getting my life into shape and getting my life to look a certain way. Christianity is all about letting my heart be changed. Do we understand this? This is what he wants. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see Jesus flesh out this idea. The difference between religious conformity and having our heart changed. We're going to see Jesus deal with some of these issues, some of these external behavior versus an inward heart change. For example, Jesus is going to say, you have heard it said, thou shalt not murder. Now, how many of you would agree if you murder, that's an external thing? Like, I'm going to, I mean, I hope that's external, right? And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to say, but I say to you, anger in your heart makes you still guilty before God. Murder, that's external. Anger in your heart, that's internal. He's gonna deal with adultery and lust. Obviously, adultery, that is external. That's something you do. But lust in your heart, and nobody's even gonna know that. But Jesus says you're still guilty. He's going to deal with divorce and marital faithfulness. He's going to deal with retaliation and enemies and love and hate. And we're going to see Jesus wrestle with these very ideas about, is it just external conformity to a bunch of rules or is it about our heart? And this is why I think this is so beautiful. And I want you to catch this. I want us to understand because, listen, God is not after your actions, God is not trying to make you make yourself look prettier. He's not trying to put pig, uh, lipstick on a pig. He's not trying to do that to make us look better. That's not freedom. When we're, when we're trying to follow the rules to make ourselves right, we are enslaved to behavior modification. We are enslaved to it. That is religion. What God wants is our heart. What God wants is that our heart would be transformed. That our heart would be wholly devoted to him. That we would love him with all of our heart, all of our being, and, all of our, and that we would follow him. And listen, when you love God like that, your behavior follows. And this is what happens in marriage. This is what happens in marriage. Marriage. In fact, the greatest example I've heard of this, uh, there's an old story uh, about a, a couple who had a prearranged marriage. The guy gets told, hey, you're, oh, no, the woman was told, you're going to marry this guy. And she's like, this guy is like 15 years older than I am. And, uh, you know, he, he doesn't shower very often. He's got all these things wrong with him. And she's like, man, she, she hates this marriage. And they live together for 10, 15 years. She can't stand him. Okay? See, this is, this is what it looks like for external behavior modification, just to follow the rules. She's, she's going through the motions of being a spouse. And he treats her poorly, treats her like she's a slave, treats her like she's whatever. And then what happens is he gets sick. He has this horrible sickness. He's, on, he's in bed, probably on his deathbed. And this woman, his wife, takes care of him na- night and day. Does everything for him. Nurses him back to health. Takes care of everything. You know what happens? His heart begins to change. He begins to love this woman. And as that love comes, listen, his behavior begins to change. Because there's a love. There's a desire. He says, man, I'll do anything for this woman because of what she's done for me. There's that love. And pretty soon, that behavior begins to change and follow because the heart goes first. This is what God is looking for. Our heart completely devoted and in love with him. Listen, this is the difference between religion and Christianity. Unfortunately, too many of us in church today, we follow religion. Religion is how you change your behavior. But Christianity is all about how you love and follow after God. Do You understand the difference between the two? This is why David, the great David and Goliath, the guy that wrote the Psalms, this is why David w- would, w- would say, talking about the law, he talks about it different than we do, right? I mean, David, when he's talking about the law, he writes and says, man, the law of God is like honey to my lips, he says, when I'm laying in bed, I am thinking and delighting about the law, the rules of God. Like, any of you do that at night? Like, laying in bed and just thinking, man, I'm so thankful that there's all these do's and don'ts. Like, I love these. I love it. I love it. Like, I don't do that. I'll just be honest. Why would David do this? Because David understood this. He understood that God wants our heart not just our behavior. God wants our heart. And when you put the attention on the heart, when you love God like that, listen, the behavior follows. The behavior is going to follow. It's so important for us to recognize. It's not about getting our life into shape and getting our life put right, it's about letting our heart be changed by Him. The second way to explain this verse. Again, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the, that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. Scribes and Pharisees, we've already said they were the best lawkeepers, like, like, no one can keep up with them. And if they can't get into the kingdom of God, then who can? And this is where we have to look back to, to Matthew 5, verse 3. Sermon on the Mount, the beginning of it, the Beatitudes. The most important Beatitude out of all of them. The Beatitude in which all other Beatitudes are built on. We looked at this a couple weeks. Verse 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, we said the poor in spirit doesn't just mean that you're a humble person. The poor in spirit doesn't mean that you think so little of yourself. The poor in spirit doesn't mean that you've got bad self-esteem. The poor in spirit, we painted a picture of like this. We said, poor in spirit, what does that mean? It's kind of like that guy at Walmart that holds up the homeless sign. He says, homeless sign, a couple dollars, please. That guy recognizes, man, I have nothing to offer. Like, I'm bankrupt. I got nothing to offer. The only way I survive is because of somebody else who comes alongside and helps me. Who comes alongside and does it for me. That's the picture of being poor in spirit. Is to recognize I've got nothing I'm dependent on somebody else. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I'm never going to be good enough. I'm never going to measure up on the law. My salvation is not dependent on myself. My salvation is dependent on someone else. And who is that someone else? Listen, there's only one person that righteous, whose righteousness could exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. There's only one person whose righteousness can do that. That's Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 3. He says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Listen, you hear what that just said? As much as we try to keep all the rules and to to exceed the, the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, all of us fall short of the glory of God. I'm a pastor. I fall short probably more than some of you in here. That's just the honest truth. We all fall short of the glory of God. But here's what, Jesus, here's what Paul says in verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. See, those who don't trust in themselves and their righteousness for their salvation, and those who don't trust in how great they are, how good they are at following the rules, but those who trust in Jesus and his fulfilling of the law, not just better than the scribes and the Pharisees, but perfectly. Those who trust in him, Jesus says theirs is the kingdom of God. Those are the ones who belong. Those are the true Christians. Not those who are are more righteous than other people, but those who bank their faith and trust on Jesus alone. And that is what we call the gospel. And that changes everything when we understand. Verse 20 is talking about Jesus. He's pointing us to Jesus. The Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. We have the law and we should be righteous and we should be pursuing to to, to live the life that God calls us to live. But we're never going to live it perfectly. That's why Jesus came. To pay the penalty for our sin. To make us right with him. He is the one who who fulfilled the law. He fulfilled it to a T. He he, he, He dotted all the I's. He crossed all the T's. He did it all for us. This is what God's done for you. And when you trust in his grace and his forgiveness. When you surrender your heart to him. When you understand what he's done for you. Your heart becomes his. And you love him. And you follow him. And when you love him like that, you can't help but be changed and transformed because of what he's done for you. And you experience a new power in life. Listen, if I could tell you one thing about Christianity, it's that right there of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. It's not about us trying to follow the rules. It's about us loving God. Genuinely and following him. And as we do that, our behavior begins to transform because of our relationship with, our, with God, with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, if, if you've never done that, if you've never invited Christ into your life, today's a day. It's not about you being a better person. It's not about you following all the rules. It's not about you reading the 613 commands in the Old Testament and saying, I'm going to follow every one of those. It's about you loving Jesus, inviting Jesus to be Lord of your life, and following Him, and letting Him transform your heart from the inside out. And the behavior will take care of itself. What we're going to do here in just a minute is listen because the gospel changes everything, it, it changes our behavior. And one of the things that it does is our behavior changes because of that grace. And one one of the changes that includes with that is we have a great appreciation for who he is and what he has done for us. So the worship team is going to come up in just a minute. And here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to worship Jesus, to celebrate him, to celebrate the fact that you and I, we can't, live up to the way the scribes and Pharisees lived. But Jesus did for us. And because of that, I think that's worthy of our praise and our glory and our celebration because of how great he is. Not because we're so great, because of how great he is. That's why we sing. That's why we worship. And so we can praise him and have a heart be full of gratitude for what he's done for us. He has given us the ability to make us right before him. To, to be called the sons and daughter of God, to be invited into his kingdom. So I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. The worship team is going to come up, and I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to praise and worship Jesus together.